0: pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, and ask that you would help us to understand that scripture, know how to apply it to our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, that story that Jesus, uh, that Jesus, that Jesse just read. (laughs) Yeah, you did a good job. That Jesse just read. It's, It's kind of an odd story, isn't it? I mean, They bring a blind man to Jesus. He touches him, says, can you see? The blind man says, eh, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. And so Jesus touches him again. And so the question that it raises is, well, why did he have to touch him twice? Like, what went wrong the first time? Why didn't it work the first time? And I have heard some interesting answers to that question over the years. Some folks speculate, well, maybe Jesus' power was getting weaker. Well, please. One commentator said, well, it must have been a particularly stubborn form of blindness. Far out. I mean, is that the best you could do, commentator? Come on, man. I mean, even if that's true, I hardly think that's the point of this story, right? It's not a text on ophthalmology. This text is not trying to answer the question, why didn't it work the first time? So set that question aside. That's not what the text is concerned with. I think Jesus touches this guy twice on purpose to make a point. And the point he's trying to make is when it comes to experience Jesus' healing power, whether that's physical, emotional, social, spiritual healing, often we are not healed healed all at once, but it happens in stages, progressively. And we don't just need one experience of Jesus to be healed. We need multiple, second, touches, third, fourth, fifth, and so on. Because we have this ability to experience Jesus, trust Jesus, but then after a little while it goes away. When I was in seminary at Princeton, I I would spend my summers here and then I would drive back out to New Jersey in the fall and on the way out, I had to go through South Dakota. Had to go through South Dakota being a redundant phrase since nobody goes there unless they have to. So one year, to make it more interesting, I stopped at Mount Rushmore and went out onto the observation deck and immediately though, I thought, you know what, I will appreciate this more if, if I know the history. So immediately went back into the visitor center, read all the information, and then as I was going back out to the observation deck, all the people were coming in. Turns out this giant cloud bank had rolled in completely covering the mountain. I I couldn't see a thing, right? The woman next to me said, oh, you should have seen it a few minutes ago. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. (laughs) And I waited for a while, but the cloud just stayed there until finally I had to leave. So I have seen Mount Rushmore for like half a second but it didn't really stick in my mind. I really needed that second look. I wonder, does your experience of Jesus ever feel that way sometimes? You see him, but it's blurry. You kind of see him, but then you don't. You experience him, but then you don't. You trust him until you don't. Maybe, for instance, you believe in him for a season, but then suddenly you're just plagued with all these doubts. Or maybe that's all you ever have is doubts, which is little tiny glimpses of Jesus. For many of us, there's been times when we've face difficult issues money has been tight or a health problem or something like that issue at work and god came through for us somehow but then do you ever find yourself worrying again the next time you have a problem in spite of what god's done in the past and even when the worst happens i know people in this church they've they've lost a child they face serious health issues and they have said that in those moments god became even more real to them and that brought them comfort but then like all of us the next time there's a problem Poof, it all goes away, and we're worrying all over again. you ever do that? I know I do that. It's just like this blind man. We see, but we don't really see Jesus. It's just kind of blurry. We get it, but then we forget it. And so we need a second touch and a third and a fourth and so on and so on. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make in this story. That's the issue here. And the context of this story makes it crystal clear that that's what's going on. Never read a text without the context. So let me do something I don't normally do. Let me just walk through the whole chapter to see how it all fits together. You know, you can take the boy out of being an English instructor, but you can't take the English instructor out of the boy. And this, this chapter is just so well constructed. It just thrills my little English teacher heart. So indulge me, you know, or, you know, just try to live with it. Just for the, you know, you're stuck here for the next few minutes. You might as well enjoy it. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark 8. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just listen along. Mark 8 starts with a story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people with only seven loaves of bread. And in the story, if you look at it, when they see these 4,000 people and only seven loaves of bread, the disciples freak out. And they say, oh, what are we going to do? We don't have enough bread. Okay, here's what's weird about that. Just two chapters earlier, Jesus fed 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread. So more people, fewer resources. Jesus did the miracle anyway. But now, just two chapters later, they still freak out. Right? They saw the first miracle, but they kind of didn't really see it. It was blurry. It somehow it didn't sink in. So Jesus does it again. Feeds 4,000 people with just a few loaves of bread, right? Second miracle. But then just a few verses later, verse 14, next story, Jesus and the disciples get in a boat, and they only have one loaf of bread. One loaf for 13 people. Now, you would think that they would say, oh, no problem. We've just seen what he can do with your bread. It's awesome, right? But no, no, no. What do they do? They panic. They freak out, and they say, we don't have enough bread. What are we going to do? And you can just hear Jesus at this point going, oh, what am I going to do with these people, right? I mean, they have have just, in two chapters, they have seen Jesus collectively feed 9,000 people with only 12 loaves of bread. He has proven himself capable with bread. Okay, he can stretch a meal better than Martha Stewart but they still don't think he can whip up a little bit of PBJ for their picnic of 13. So Jesus gives them a little reminder. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see? So there's the theme. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? And they say, 12. Trust me, it's in the Greek. It's, you know, it's Greek for the, right? And then he says, and for the 4,000, and they say seven. And then Jesus says, basically, do you still not understand? In other words, do you get it? And shockingly, they don't answer. They just sit there. I mean, they are definitely a few nails short of a hardware store. They've seen, but they don't see. They get it, but then they forget it. They need a second touch. So then the next story, Jesus heals the blind man by touching him twice. We read that. And then the story after that, verse 27, is where Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus says what that means is, I am going to be crucified for the world's sins and raised from the dead. And Peter says, no, Lord, an oxymoron, not you. Because Peter's idea of Messiah is that Jesus will kick out the occupying Roman army, not die for people's sins. You see, he sees Jesus as the Messiah, but he doesn't see what that means. It's blurry. See how cool this chapter is? It's all the same theme. It all runs through there. just holds together in a neat little English major package. It it just makes me want to make you go home and write an essay about it. Five pages, due Tuesday, okay? He... we we have this, the whole chapter is about how we can see and not see, how we can get it, but then forget it. And so we need a second touch. And I think there's lots of reasons why we do that. Tons of reasons why we get it and then forget it. For starters, past wounds, hurts, and disappointments. You know, something didn't go right in our past. Somewhere, we feel like people, God maybe let us down, and so it's hard to trust again and believe that he's going to be there. And so we definitely need a second touch of his grace and his mercy. Sometimes it's our preconceived notions of who Jesus is and how we should act that keep us from really believing that Jesus is really seeing what he's doing. You know, it, Peter had this idea of what being a Messiah should do, what Jesus should do and say if he was actually the Messiah, and it was so such a strong idea that it kept him from seeing what Jesus was actually doing in his midst. Another reason I think we get it and then forget it is we focus on our problems instead of Jesus. When the disciples are in the boat, they focus on their lack of bread instead of Jesus, who's just fed all these people with just a few loaves of bread. When we focus on our problems, we panic. When we focus on Jesus, we have peace. And then finally, I think one of the reasons we are always in need of a second touch is because we make Jesus small and explain away our experiences of him. We minimize the ways he's come through for us in the past and say, oh, that was coincidence or, or my own hard work or whatever. I know several people who have been miraculously healed, of diseases their doctor said could not be healed. And at first, some of them would say, oh, you know, I was healed. But later on, some of them would say things like, yeah, the doctor got the diagnosis wrong. We have this tendency to minimize the way Jesus has been real to us in the past, and so we need a second touch. Sort of like the story about a man who was late for a meeting, and so he prayed, Lord, I know this is silly, but I'm late, so please give me a parking spot, and if you do, I'll give up liquor and cussing for a month. Just then, a car pulled out right in front of him, and he said, oh, never mind, Lord, I just found one myself. That's kind of how we are sometimes. We minimize what God has done in the past, and so we need a second touch. Here's the good news of this story. Jesus is in the business of giving second and third and fourth touches, as many as we need, to whoever needs it. You know, when this man, this blind man, says he sees people, but it's blurry, they look like walking trees, jesus doesn't say to him you know what it's your fault you don't have enough faith you just need to try harder you're not praying hard enough that's your problem right now that's not what he said the text says once more jesus put his hands on the man's eyes that's a great verse once more no matter how many mistakes we've made no matter how many times we get it and then forget it no matter how many times we mess up once more jesus gives us a new experience of him once more Jesus reaches out to us. Once more, Jesus reminds us that God is our father and we are his beloved sons and his daughters. And I think this text shows us at least three things that help us, make it easier for us to receive that second touch. And the first is this, to receive that second touch, we need to let Jesus be Jesus. And what I mean by that is we need to kill off our ideas of what Jesus should be doing so that we can see what the real Jesus is doing and what the real Jesus of Scripture is really like. You know, in this chapter, the disciples had their idea of what Jesus should do if he was the Messiah, namely kick out the Romans. And it kept them from seeing what he was actually doing in their midst. And I think that's one reason why the way this story starts is it says that the first thing Jesus did is he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village, took him out of that town. Now, I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, he didn't want to cause a sensation. Second, when you lead a blind person, you don't do it from in front of them. You, you walk alongside of them. So it's just a great image of relationship with Jesus. He walks side by side with us. But another reason I think he takes him out of the town is he had to get him out of that culture, out of those traditions, all of those notions of what God is and what God isn't and what God does and what God doesn't do so that he could experience Jesus on Jesus' terms. Right? If we want to see Jesus, know Jesus, experience Jesus, we're going to have to let Jesus be Jesus on his terms, not ours. Which means he is going to do things that are outside of our cultural norm. He is going to do things that are outside of our traditions. He is going to do things that make us uncomfortable. In fact, look at what Jesus does next. The text says, When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? Anything weird about that sentence to you? He spit on the, gross, right? Now, it's true that in that culture, saliva was thought to have healing properties, but still, you know, Jesus spits on him. He doesn't put the saliva on his eyes as he does in other places. I mean, just imagine the scene. Jesus says, here, let me heal you. There, how do you feel? Awesome. Great, Jesus, do it again, right? This would definitely not go down well at First Presbyterian Jerusalem, okay? Just saying, right? Like the emails, that's not appropriate church behavior. Don't ever do that again, right? Here's the thing. Jesus is not, some of you are just joining me. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus is not Miss Manners. Jesus is not your Aunt Millie. We got to let Jesus be Jesus, and that's going to do things. He's going to do things that make us uncomfortable. A long time ago, I was at a meeting of Presbyterian bigwigs, and One of the pastors talked about how on a Sunday during worship, they had people come to the front to receive prayer for healing. And one man right there was healed of cancer. Well, a senior member in the Presbyterian hierarchy just flipped out. I mean, he just flipped his comb-over lid. He just went crazy, right? That's not appropriate worship. That is not how Reformed tradition worship should go. That's not what you should do in church. What? I mean, would that the authority he had appealed to would have been Scripture— instead of reformed tradition, but then he couldn't really do that, could he? Because it would be very hard to make an argument for how praying for people to be healed in church is a bad thing. But it was against his traditions. It was against his idea of proper church. Plus, it made him uncomfortable. But here's the thing. How can you, on the one hand, say, why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we experience the power of Jesus more when we're constantly taming him, boxing him in, making him fit what we're comfortable with rather than what he wants to do? To receive that second touch, we're going to have to let Jesus be Jesus, and that's going to make us uncomfortable. Second, and it's related, to receive a second touch, we need a more mature view of Jesus. In this story, Peter and the disciples basically wanted a spiritual vending machine, you know, a, a, a savior who would do what they wanted, when they wanted, starting with kicking out the Romans. But Jesus is not our cosmic busboy. And if we are just always looking to him as Mr. Fix-It, then we're not going to see the real Jesus because we'll be looking for the wrong person. We need a more mature view of him. When I was in college, I had a really difficult relationship with a woman that I was dating, and I kept asking, why doesn't God make this relationship work? Why, you know, where's God and all that? And my pastor at one point said, you know, Scott, God doesn't want to make you happy. He wants to make you whole and holy. And I remember thinking, you need a new job because you're no good at this pastor thing. I did not want to hear that. That is not what I wanted to hear. Sort of like the experience many of us have had watching the Olympics, where Bob Costas gets on and tells you all the cool events that you're going to see, and then the seven words America dreads to hear most. But first, let's hear from Ryan Seacrest. No! You know, bring on the events. I mean, even rhythmic gymnastics. Come on, man. That's sort of how I felt when my pastor said, God doesn't make us happy, he makes us whole. Like, consolation prize. I'd rather be happy, frankly. But here's the thing. I have realized, and I started to realize then, that whole is actually better than happy. Because as you've heard me say before, happy is based on what's happening. And if what's happening doesn't happen to happen the way that you want it to happen, then you're not happy. But whole means that I can have joy no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, even in hard times, because I'm not dependent on what's happening. So God used that lousy relationship to get me closer to God, strengthen my character, make me more whole so so I could have more joy. Eventually, when we broke up, I realized I dodged a bullet because she was a disaster, right? Most of the things I've learned in life have been because of some woman. Anyway, (laughs) except my lovely wife. She's amazing, right? She's perfect. My daughter was in the last service, and I told that story, so it's just an awkward family day. Anyway... My first image of Jesus was blurry, just a Mr. Fix-It guy, right? My second image of Jesus was more mature. And with that, I could see him better. Let Jesus be Jesus. Have a more mature view of Jesus. And then finally, and this just makes sense, we got to look to Jesus. You know, when our vision of Jesus is blurry, we need to look to him for clarity. That's what the blind man did when he had blurry vision. Look to Jesus. And there's two two ways, a simple way to do that is to pray two simple prayers First, Jesus, give me a new experience of you. And second, Jesus, what are you doing here? Help me to see it. Because when we can see what Jesus is actually doing, not what we think he should be doing, what he's actually doing, we experience him again. When I was a college pastor in California, I belonged to a small group of other college pastors from different parts of the country. And once a year, we would get together to pray for each other, confess our sins, challenge each other, encourage each other, that sort of thing. And at one point, one of the guys in the group, who I'll call Steve, got fired from his church without very much explanation, other than that the senior pastor just wanted him gone. And he'd also gone through a tough breakup with a woman he'd dated for a long time. And Steve's question was, where's God? I'm hurting, and where's God? And he said, as a pastor, Jesus used to seem so real to him, but that at that point, now he just said, I feel like I'm just giving trite answers to people who have real pain. Well, when he got done telling his story it, it didn't really feel right to say anything and we didn't even know how to pray for him so instead we just put him in the center of the room we put our hands on him and we were silent for about 20 to 30 minutes just set in silence i, I finally someone said amen i thought it was really moving since god seemed silent to him we were going to be silent with him well when we got done and looked up he had tears in his eyes and so you know, all of us wanting a quick fix said, did, did you feel God? Huh, 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 Is it work? did it work? Right, and he said, no. But then maybe he got a blurry glimpse of God through a community of men who were willing to just sit in silence with him. He needed a second touch from Jesus. And it took him a long time to get it. He spent a couple of years angry at God, but he did have a couple of friends, one in particular, who just stuck really close with him. And even when, even when Steve didn't want this guy around, his friend just stuck with him didn't really uh, talk too much, just did a lot of listening, occasionally would challenge Steve, occasionally would say, I think Jesus is, trying, is chasing you. You just don't want to be caught at this point. Well, along the way, Steve decided to switch careers and become a counselor. And in the course of his training, he began to realize that the Bible calls Jesus wonderful counselor and that Jesus doesn't offer trite answers to the problem of pain, but that instead Jesus experienced pain himself on the cross, but used the pain for good to purchase our salvation, and then turned it into hope when he was raised from the dead. And gradually, Steve began slowly to experience Jesus again and gradually began to renew his faith, but this time a deeper faith, richer, more mature faith. Plus, he loves being a counselor, which is a way better fit for him than ministry ever was. And he's really good at it because he has been through pain. And so he knows what to say to people who are in pain. But more importantly, he knows what to say to people, what not to say to people. Who are in pain he needed a second touch and it took years not months years to get it but bit by bit as he let jesus be jesus not the jesus of religiosity or tradition but the real jesus of scripture as he got a more mature view of jesus not as the mr fix it guy but as the guy who meets us in our pain and transforms it into hope and as he began to look to jesus he started to experience jesus again so maybe today you're in a great spot Life is up and to the right, and everything is going great. You feel close to God. Things are wonderful. As we finish worship, let's celebrate. Just celebrate that and thank the author of all of those good things. But if you're like my friend and you need a second touch for whatever reason, maybe it's a health issue, a relationship problem, maybe you're just not sure Jesus exists at all, or maybe you've experienced him in the past and now it's just blurry and you don't see him anywhere, here's the good news. Jesus is in the business of giving second, third, fourth touches, as many as we need to whoever needs it. And we are a community of people who will wait with you and pray with you until you get that second touch. And when you do, the Jesus who seems blurry to you right now will get a lot more clear and be a lot more real to you. And you will know in the words of one of my favorite hymns that God has been faithful. He will be again his love and compassion. No, no end. All we have need of. His hand will provide. He will always be faithful to you and to me. So Jesus, I know there are people in this room, probably most of us, who in some way need that second touch from you. So this week, ask that you give it to us, surprise us, do something that we don't expect, maybe even something that makes us uncomfortable, but that helps us know that you're there. Lord, we need it and only you can give it, so we turn to you and we pray this in your name, Jesus.